0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: But I feel like the beef industry and the pork industry and the chicken folks, like we should probably band together because they're really disparaging our product um, and, and spreading a lot of lies. And while they're doing that, they're also stealing our nomenclature.
2: This is your host, Trevor Williams, and welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast, the podcast for anyone curious to learn about where their food comes from. So going viral can lead to some pretty neat opportunities like going on talk shows or even just having your message reach millions of people. Our guest today went viral just a few months ago in September of 2019, in an attempt to fight some popular false claims about the agriculture industry. Amanda Radke is an agricultural speaker, beef blogger, pretty much a jack-of-all-trades. Amanda has a background in ag communications, writing for Beef Magazine, and working with beef cattle. She currently runs her own website, amandaradke.com, advocates for agriculture as a guest speaker to numerous events, and writes a beef newsletter. You might remember Amanda from a few months ago when she went viral for a post in which she asked Ellen DeGeneres for a chance to come on her show to talk about beef production and some false claims the media continues to share about agriculture. Today on the show, Amanda will talk about her speaking background, beef facts and misinformation, and how going viral helped get her message out there. This is Farm Traveler Podcast episode 45 with Amanda Radke. Right, well, Amanda Radke, thanks for being on the podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How
2: about yourself? Oh, doing great. Thanks for being on. So you are a beef blogger, beef writer, speaker, found you on Instagram. And I found you a few months ago whenever you kind of went viral trying to go talk to Ellen, which was really cool, which we'll talk about. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your background, kind of what you're doing and kind of how you wind up doing what you're doing right now.
1: Sure. Uh, so I grew up on a, a cattle ranch in in the southeast corner of South Dakota, and and growing up we we sold bulls and also uh, very active in 4-H and FFA. And and probably one of the best things I did in those programs uh, was compete in speaking contests. Um, little did I know that one day it would be a major part of my my career. Uh, so I studied egg communications and. Um, I was a national beef ambassador, so got had the opportunity in college to travel across the country and, and promote beef at these consumer events. And when it came time to graduate, I knew I wanted to head back home to the ranch, but I also knew I needed to bring some income with me. And so I kind of uh, made that, that shift. To being a freelance writer and speaker, and and writing about the things that I had always done, which is you know advocate for agriculture, promote egg literacy, and um, so today I I write for Beef Magazine. I write a blog every Monday through Thursday, um, and then I travel the country speaking at egg events. And kind of in my side gig, I sell uh, children's books and Western teas and basically anything I say to pay for my cow habit. So uh, I keep busy in a lot of different, different ways. But I think my, my true passion is, is really promoting agriculture and teaching our consumers where their food comes from.
2: That sounds super fun. And, and cows are a very expensive hobby from what I gather. So it's really good that you've got a lot <laughs> of stuff going on to help pay for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. That feed bill gets to be something once in a while. So, yep, I got to keep working.
2: I can imagine. Yeah. What's that like um, doing your, your weekly blog? So, what are some topics that you've covered and what's that been like kind of writing every now and then? What's that been like?
1: Sure. So I started the blog in, in 2008 when I was in college. And over the years, it's really grown to be uh, a community of people. And so um, readers have seen me graduate from college and get married and, and buy a ranch and buy cattle and have babies and, and all of these things. Um, and then in between all those major life events, I talk about hot industry news. So whether it's, you know, beef labeling or the beef checkoff, um, you know, business strategies to keep you profitable, even during tough market stretches. Um, And then things that are in the on social media. So like you mentioned, the Ellen thing, um, you know, how can we best address some of these misconceptions out there and, and put our best foot forward when we're trying to connect with consumers and, and trying to deflect what some of the activists and celebrities and media are saying about us.
2: I like that. So going off of that, what are some big misconceptions that you kind of see out there? I know a lot of popular ones are, oh, cows, beef in particular is not sustainable. It's hurting the environment. Beef isn't healthy for you. So what are some big misconceptions that you see out there when it it comes to beef?
1: (laughs) Well, you definitely pretty much hit the nail on the head. And I think you know, Ellen, when she had that video that said, be neat, eat less meat, and she highlighted three reasons why. And her three reasons were, it's bad for the environment, it's bad for your health, um, and it's bad for the animals, too. And so, uh, in a lot of my speeches, I tackle each of those misconceptions head on, because um, I can negate pretty strongly all three of them. And, and so I, I always like to say, Ellen did the homework for us. And now, us as a beef industry know exactly what we need to be focusing on because that's what many consumers think um, about livestock production and and eating meat.
2: I like that. Yeah. So, um, have you have you done a lot of research on the whole um, CO2 versus methane? I think I saw something where. You know, cows fart, they give off methane, but well, that stays in the atmosphere like 10 years, and people just think it's going to stay in the atmosphere like 100 years like CO2. So have you done a lot of studies there?
1: Um, well, so I haven't done any studies myself, but I'm good friends with a guy named Frank Mitloner and he's out of UC Davis, and he is a air quality specialist who really has dived into the numbers on this. And yeah, he basically says so. An example, and, and I'll probably get it wrong here, but uh, you can reach out to Frank to get it perfectly right. But he basically says so. If if a rancher has a hundred cows, I um, mean, he saves that same size, um, he will basically be at net zero because that hundred cows will, you know, emit that methane into the environment, and it kind of is in a cycle, and it never gets to be more than that because it's, you know, it's it's basically just level or steady. Um, And another thing that that he said is if every American were to go meatless on Mondays, you know, to curb climate change or to, you know, impact planetary health in a positive way, it would reduce greenhouse gas emissions by like 0.3 percent. So pretty negligible, really. And, you know, when we see these celebrities at the Golden Globes uh, going vegan to save the planet and yet they're... They're flying in a private jet and then they're taking a limo to the event and then they're wearing a dress or a tuxedo um, that took, you know, tens of people to design and create and fly across the country to get to them and they'll wear it only one time, Um, probably the the most sustainable choice they would make in that evening is to to eat beef and maybe walk to the event or carpool. You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, we have a huge misconception when it comes to uh, cow farts and, and it's actually burps too. And so even that uh, they get wrong or the media gets wrong. Uh, but we continue to be plagued by that misconception. And, and I, I always say cattle were green before anybody else was. And so they actually have a really cool story um, in terms of environmental sustainability. Um, that's, that's pretty neat to think about, actually.
2: That is really neat. And that whole Golden Globes thing drew, drew me crazy last week or whenever it was. And you might have seen it. I saw it on Twitter. It was by this guy named Bill Hunt. He tweeted out when you know people were talking about, oh, meat's bad for the environment. He said something like, and I'm reading the tweet right now, we could run our 3,000 acre farm for 11 years on one day's fuel load for an A380 Airbus, which is like 320,000 liters, which I think is just absolutely crazy. And like you said, like if people stopped eating meat once per day or once a week, it would reduce it by like 0.03%. And
1: <laughs> right. yeah, and people- um, Probably the simplest analogy I've seen on that is, so say you were locked in a garage overnight with a car or a cow. Um, which one would you not survive? Uh, so if the running car and you you know, you know, didn't have access to oxygen or air, well, you'd be dead by morning, right? Uh, if you were in the garage with a cow, well, you might be a little smelly, you know, you'd be just <laughs> fine. Um, and so, and I really think, you know, on the front end, cattle are grazing grass that would otherwise, you know, go unused. Uh, they're eating feed stuffs that are inedible for humans. So um, potato skins, beet pulp, uh cottonseed hulls, corn stalks, and they're upcycling it um, into nutritious protein. And then, you know, on the back end, beef is nutrient dense. So you're getting more bang for your caloric buck than you would eat in, you know, bowls and bowls of lettuce or whatever else it might be. Um, and also when we utilize that beef animal nose to tail, um, we get hundreds of byproducts that enrich our daily lives. And so it's it just from beginning to end, I think we have a strong story, um, but our consumer doesn't know it anymore because, you know, they're so removed from the farm. And and we see the impacts of this even in just politics and, and regulations. And so a good example is... Um, there's a misconception out there that we should just leave the land alone, that we should take people off the land and not have managers. Um, So there shouldn't be timber industries and there shouldn't be ruminant animals grazing. And instead it should just be, you know, pristine forests and grasslands where wildlife will, um, you know, live. Um, But when grass, is is grazed it reduces the spread of wildfire because there's not this dead brush lying around and and when timber is responsibly harvested it's the same effect and so that's why we're seeing these incredibly hot damaging devastating wildfires you know in California and in Australia it's because the land managers have been removed um, from those areas and so I think you know having that story out there is is really important too. And it's something we don't ever see in the media. We just are quick to say, oh, it's climate change. Um, when actually it's, it's uh, very much more boots on the ground stuff happening that could really help curb the spread of those wildfires.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. Um, going along the lines of advocacy, whenever you do your speaking engagements or, or whenever you talk to people kind of in the beef industry, is there any, what kind of advice do you give those people on how they can advocate for the industry and how they can advocate for themselves with people that are kind of removed from the industry? So what advice do you have from there?
1: You know, I always say that so often in eggs, we respond to things that people say about us in two ways. We either laugh and, you know, say, like, oh, you dumb city slicker, how do you not know this? Or we get really angry and defensive and mad and, you know, maybe are quick to name call or or stoop to a lower level. And and neither one of those are productive, you know, outlets to really building relationships and, and bridging those gaps. And so I always tell people to listen first and like, okay, what is this person actually concerned about? You know, they're they're mentioning cow farts. Well, they're worried about the planet and the environment and so how can you connect with them and talk about how you are too, you know, worried about the environment and what you do on your farm, you know, to be sustainable or to take care of those natural resources and, you know, make the land better tomorrow than it was today. Um. So if we can find those shared values, I think we would find just overwhelmingly that rural and urban America have a lot more in common that we think and that, you know, farmers and ranchers are consumers too. And so we care if, um. If our food is safe and it tastes good and it comes from good farms and ranches too, um, just like our consumers in New York City might, you know, care about and think about as well.
2: I like that. That's some really good points. Um, So how exactly did you get started with your um, speaking career? Like how do you you go about kind of figuring out topics that you're going to tell your audience and how do you go about finding places that you're going to go speak at? So what's that whole thing been like?
1: You know, it really just started word of mouth. You know, I was doing it through college, just kind of sporadically. And then um, probably one of the things that put me on the map a little bit or or let people know what I was about was, um, it's very similar to the Ellen letter going viral. But um, back then, uh, Carrie Underwood uh, had been invited to sing at the National FFA Convention. Uh, So this was 2006, 2007-ish. Um, And at that time, she was really promoting um, uh, the Humane Society of the United States and donating to this activist group that vocally said they want to abolish animal agriculture and eliminate meat, dairy, and eggs from the dinner table. Um, And at that time, I I was an FFA member, and I was headed to the National Convention, and I was a little frustrated that um, the organization would invite someone that was so vocal against an egg industry um, to sing and perform. And so I had reached out to the FFA and um, they weren't willing to cancel the concert or book someone else. And so Facebook was brand new at that time. And, and I encouraged FFA members from across the country to join me in a peaceful walkout after um, the opening act. And so I, I wanted people to still pay for the tickets because obviously FFA would still have to pay Carrie Underwood. Um, But I wanted them to stand up for, for the livestock community and, and kind of bring awareness to what HSUS was all about. And so I'm really proud to say that over a thousand kids walked out that night and Um, It was really probably the start or very early stages of what egg advocacy looked like today. I mean, obviously, it was probably pretty rough and crude at the time since it was all brand new. But um, that's probably, you know, what made my name a little bit more well known. And then, uh, you know, having that beef blog, um, which is a national platform, um, really helped, you know, share my voice and, and kind of the things that I was passionate about. And then it just kind of blossomed from there.
2: Kind of going along those lines, so I first found you months ago, kind of after the whole Ellen thing, when Ellen was like, yeah, be nice, don't eat meat for once a week or something like that. And then you took this picture, which was really cool, in front of some cows, and you're like, hey, Ellen, let me come on your show and talk to you about why beef isn't that bad. So what was that whole process like about trying to go viral and trying to get on the show to where you, an expert in the field, can actually tell her that, no, it's actually not that bad?
1: Oh, well, the going viral part was pretty accidental. I, I had no idea it would travel around the world the way it did. Um, I was, I had seen the video and I had written that blog and then I bribed my husband into taking that picture of me out in the pasture. And, and if folks aren't familiar, the sign said, you know, hey, Ellen, can this South Dakota beef producer come on your show or, or something like that. And um, I went to a speech at um, South Dakota State University and I was talking to uh, college kids there about how they could be egg advocates. And and after that speech, I um, clicked publish on the blog and, and the two hour drive home, my phone was just blowing up. I mean, I, I just had no idea. And I think the reason it resonated with so many people or the reason it gained so much traction is because I approached it um, maybe with a little South Dakota nice, I guess. You know, I tried to um, practice what I preach and that you know, I really could have beat up Ellen or said, oh, look at how hypocritical you are and your with your private jets and your McMansions and everything and your, you know, cover girl cosmetics, you know, campaign, which by the way, makeup comes from cows. You know, I could have pointed all that out. Instead, I, I did. I followed my own advice, which was, hey, Ellen, I hear you're concerned about animals and the environment and, and human health. And and here's the facts about beef you might not know. And I I'd love to share this with your viewers you know, if you would give me that opportunity. Um, and so Ellen never did call. Um, and that's okay because I, I still call it a victory because I had the opportunity to to do over 40 media interviews really in the three weeks following that letter and, and got to talk about some of these misconceptions. And so I guess I'll take it as a victory, even though that really would have been icy on the cake if she had given me a ring.
2: Yeah, that would have been really neat. But I mean, it still seems like he still got a lot of really good traction, a lot of really good feedback from that whole thing. So that's really cool. I mean, yeah. you're on this podcast, you're on a bunch of other podcasts and shows, I'm sure. So <laughs> right. that's really cool.
1: Yeah. And you know, with the good comes the bad. I mean, I had the activists beating me up. I had people in agriculture that were like, you know, Amanda Radke, you should have just kept your mouth shut. You know, look at this mess you created or look at this spectacle. Um, and probably actually that criticism hurt worse than the than the vegan activists who are you know threatening to kill me or you know stalk me or murder my family or whatever i mean those are scary but when it comes from within the egg community and you feel like you don't have that support when you've you know you're feeling so vulnerable and put out there um, that was kind of tough. And so I always tell people, you know, if you see someone going out and, and doing the work to share their story, you know, chances are they might feel pretty vulnerable too. And, and they're, you know, if they're wearing their heart on their sleeve, uh, give them a support by, you know, commenting on their post or sharing it to help, you know, help it get some traction. And, and let's support each other as we try to go out and share our stories, because it can be kind of a lonely run out there once in a while when you're, when you're really running and, and doing that kind of stuff.
2: Oh, absolutely. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Kind of go along the, let's talk about fake meats real quick, which I know you said you, you okay. kind of wanted to touch on. So yeah. what are your thoughts on the whole, you know, like the Impossible Burger, the, the Beyond Meat Burger? What's your thought there?
1: I, you know, I always have to say, I, I don't think the beef industry or pork or any of, any of the traditional meats are afraid of competition. Um, you know, we welcome competing proteins and alternative choices you know And the grocery store, because we have to feed a growing planet, and so the more options, the better, and I believe consumers deserve choices um so and and also those products provide opportunities for for different types of farming, and so if there's an opportunity for you to market your commodities through these products, like go get it you know um, but what bothers me is that their marketing strategy is based on bashing you know, pork and and beef instead of standing on their own merits. And so it seems like they have to sling a lot of mud in order to sell. sell what I see is kind of a subpar, you know, glamorized junk food product. But there I am slinging mud here, too. (laughs) But but I feel like the beef industry and the pork industry and the chicken folks like we should probably band together because they're really disparaging our product um, and, and spreading a lot of lies. And while they're doing that, they're also stealing our nomenclature. So they're slapping meat and chicken and sausage and bacon and, and beef um, and burgers right on their products. And so consumers love our products. Uh, the American consumer will eat upwards of 200 plus pounds of meat in, or they were projected to in 2019. I haven't seen final numbers, um, but that's record breaking. And so to take, to take our beloved nomenclature and slap it on their products while also insulting our products. Um, It's kind of a double-edged sword. And so I think it's really important that we get the labeling right and that these products be very clearly defined in the marketplace. And then I think let's let the consumers sort it out and decide what they really want to buy.
2: I saw something. I think it was the Impossible um, Foods Instagram the other day. It said, we want to completely remove animal agriculture from the world. I was like, "Uh." I don't think you're ever gonna get there good luck but yeah. yeah right yeah it's cool that it's another choice for consumers but it's not the best thing in the world because they're just bashing all animal agriculture and they're like you yeah. said they're they're throwing a lot of false information out there just to make their product sell, which is basic marketing but still they're kind of hurting a whole industry that they're trying to trying to put their nose oh. into so it's very interesting
1: right yeah, and I think that's the whole thing. It, you know, if their product was that good, they could just talk about how awesome their product is. Instead, they have to, you know, bash another product in order to sell theirs. And and really, you know, beef I think can stand on its own merits. We we've always had to compete, whether it's competing with with pork or chicken or fish or whatever. Uh, we can handle that, but we're not playing by the same rules anymore uh, which is you know just transparency and honesty and integrity uh, this is just a whole other beast entirely so i don't think anyone in egg animal egg is saying oh we don't want fake meats or plant-based proteins or whatever we're just saying like hey maybe quit taking on us so much and and just stick to what you're good at you know and and that, that's it so Yeah, just a little frustrating rant from a beef producer in South Dakota. Take it for what it's worth, I guess.
2: (laughs) Well, that's a good rant. I like it. I I saw some meme a few weeks ago, and it had a beef burger and an Impossible Burger. And the beef burger ingredient said beef. The Impossible Burger had like 40 ingredients. I'm like, yeah, that's the difference right there. You get a regular beef burger, which is totally fine. Then you get (laughs) a random Impossible Burger with a bunch of different chemicals and ingredients in it. So it's
1: very interesting for sure. Right. Yes. And yeah, it's just a whole, whole other ball game. And I think, and there's different, you know, schools of thought on that and that, you know, okay, so we should never do that. We should never compare and try to make their products look bad. Um, and I, and I only think that we're seeing that pushback or some of this negative stuff come out, you know, like I've seen these products compared to dog food, for example. Um, And obviously we refer to them as fake meats a lot, which is probably derogatory. Um, But I think we're only really seeing that because finally producers are saying enough is enough. And we're really tired of, you know, not putting back up a fight after you continuously beat us up over and over again. And so I'm not saying an eye for an eye is a good strategy, but, um, I, think, I think it's good to see producers getting a little fired up and ready to share their stories too and, and talk about the merits of, of beef instead of letting these plant-based guys do all the talking.
2: Yeah, exactly. No, that's a good point. I mean, the more and more people share their stories and get right information out there, the better. Um, that's for right. sure. So <laughs> moving on to a little bit happier subject. So tell us a little bit about your, your ag literacy children's books. Like how did you get inspired to write those and what are some examples of the books?
1: So in 2011, I really started to notice that there weren't a lot of egg accurate books on the shelves available today. And by that, I mean um, a lot of children's books about farming. Um, the animal was the main character, and the farmer was like the side character who maybe was. The bad guy, for example, or um, the main character is the cow, and he walks on his back legs, and he has all this full range of emotions. And um, I feel like that really further skews our relationship with animals, and and you know the value of people versus versus animals. And um, you know we see that in Disney movies and popular books today. And so I really wanted to flip the switch and write a book that made the ranch kid. Uh, the main character and the hero in the story and that ranch kid was responsible for you know taking care of his livestock and taking care of the land so that wildlife could call that place home as well and and so Levi's lost calf was kind of born out of that frustration um, fast forward to uh, 2019 and I teamed up with my illustrator again and we wrote a new book titled Can Do Cow Kids and that one dives in even deeper about the ranch's relationship to the animals and to the land and, and kind of some conservation um, elements to it and, and how that rangeland is so important for habitat for you know bees and rabbits and fox and deer and, and not just cattle. Um, And so I'm really excited that in 2020, we have two more books coming, and we're just kind of teaming up with different commodity groups and and trying to tell their stories. And so the next one is going to be um, about peanut production. So peanut growers in Georgia have connected with us, and we're going to tell their story. And then the book following will be um, from the Soil Health Coalition, and we'll be talking about, you know, how farmers help to maintain that soil health and you know that it'll have a really great environmental story as well. So excited about what's to come, and if folks are interested in that, they can learn more about our publishing services at AgStorytellers.com.
2: Cool, that's awesome. I am writing that down, AgStorytellers.com. Mm-hmm. I will check it out. Yeah, we had another uh, Luella Frischer Gregory, I think from Missouri, who also writes some children's books. So it's really okay. cool that yeah, it's really cool that uh, Ag has found a way to get children with Ag Children's Books to kind of bridge that literacy and kind of encourage it early on. So that's really cool.
1: Yeah. Kids always seem really excited to meet a, a farmer and a rancher when they come into the classroom. And then, you know, for these volunteer parents that go and, and visit their kids' schools, they have a book that's accurate and ready to, to tell the true story of how that food gets to the dinner plate. Like, I, oh, I just love it. It's, it's definitely my passion. And um, yeah, it's it I'm excited about what's to come the the book three the illustrations are are in the studio and the the paint is drying as we speak so it is very very <laughs> soon that that it will be published and released and uh yeah so very exciting stuff
2: that sounds like well that's cool we can't wait to see it that's awesome so Something I like to ask everybody, and I think you're going to have a really good take on this, um, and that is, what are their thoughts? What are your thoughts on the farmer consumer relationship right now? Like it's it's a very interesting space right now, that's for sure. So, what do you think about it right now?
1: You know, I just think the, the disconnect is pretty great. And I think, you know, it's not just agriculture, it's probably everything. Um, You know, our lives in rural America just look so much different than someone that lives in the city. And I can say that from someone who's lived in several major cities over, you know, through my life. you know, summer internships and that kind of thing. Um, But you know, if you think about an urban consumer, they, they take a metro or an Uber everywhere, and there's a Starbucks on every street corner, and they might live in an apartment complex. And, you know, their best friend that they spend the most time with might be their beloved dog or cat. And, and it's like we live on a whole other planet out here where, you know, I'm the only house for a mile. And, and my kids drive 23 miles to school every day, and, um, you know, I, there's, there is a Starbucks in town, but it's, it's, I definitely have to drive, get in the car and drive to go get there kind of thing, and, um, you know, our, we do have pets, but we also have hundreds of cows that are spread out on pastures, and um, we're very closely connected to that circle of life where we see things born on the ranch, and we see things die, and so our perspective on, on life and animals and food is, it's really, really much different than that urban consumer who learns about food, you know, on YouTube and, and, you know, tries to dissect labels and figure out what they really want to buy, you know, when they go to the grocery store. Um, so I, yeah, I think the, the gap is huge. Um, And like I said earlier, I think we have a lot of shared values and a lot of things that actually connect us and bring us all together as Americans. But it's just a matter of, you know, finding those shared values instead of focusing on why we're all so very different.
2: Well, Amanda, if people want to stay in touch with you, if they want to follow what you're doing, where can they find you at?
1: Um, So my beef blog is at beefmagazine.com. I also have a website, a personal website where people can check out my speaking engagements. And I also sell my children's books and like fun t-shirts and that kind of thing. Um, and that website is amandaradkey.com. Uh,
2: it was so good to finally meet you, finally talk to you about all things beef and your speaking engagement and all that really cool stuff. So thanks so much for being on and we will talk to you soon, Amanda. Keep up the good work.
1: Thank you. It was my absolute pleasure. Thanks for for thinking of me and, and I look forward to being a a listener down the road as i'm in my travels in the car looking for good things to to tune into
2: <laughs> well that's perfect awesome well thank you thanks so much for listening to this episode with amanda be sure to check out her website at amandaradkey.com that is amanda Radke, r a d k e.com for all of her really great information about beef and all things ag Also, check us out on Facebook, Instagram. If you are new to the podcast, be sure to subscribe. We have weekly episodes coming out every Wednesday. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Share with your friends. Share with everyone you know. And we will see you in the next episode.